Good morning, said the disembodied voice. There we are. Ha ha. Um, it looks like we got a few more people this service than last week. Is it because we gave away money last week? Is that why? Is that what happened? Uh, that's an inside joke for people who were here last week. Um, we started last week a series called Wonder. We believe that we follow a God that is worthy of awe and amazement and wonder, and that when we see him working around us, we can live with that sense regularly. And we're trying, starting to unpack what does that look like. So last week, uh, we started by talking about the things that keep us from seeing God working. If God is awesome and he's working around us, why don't we see it? Why are our lenses clouded? And we talked about three things that can cloud our lenses so that we don't see God working. One was entitlement. We feel like we deserve whatever it is that we deserve, and so we're focused on ourselves and what we should get. Uh, the second was a low self-worth, which we said was the cousin of entitlement because they both are rooted in looking at ourselves only with self-worth. It's so, you know, I'm, I'm not worthy. I don't belong. I'm an Eeyore. And then the third is being critical of others. It's hard to be in awe of what God's doing if I'm too busy ripping down what someone else is doing. And so when we take the focus off of others and ourselves, we clear the lenses that we are able to see the amazing things that God is doing and how he is. And so starting this week and the three weeks following, we're going to look at, so what are the things that are awesome? How do we see the things that will leave us in wonder? And then what does living that look like? Last week, we gave you the homework. This was the inside joke. If you weren't here last week, at the end of the service, we passed the plates again. Only the second time, we passed plates with envelopes that had cash in them. And we, we instructed all of you to take one and then use it and put it toward something that you think God is doing in the world that is awesome, that is amazing, that leaves you with a sense of wonder. So far, we've gotten about 12% uh, of responses. On the envelope, there was an email address where we asked you to tell us where are you putting it? We want to know the awesome things that God is doing in our world. We want to see what's happening. Uh, and so many of you are still praying over that, thinking about it. A few of you have come up and said, I feel guilty. I'll get to it, I swear. It's okay. Just we want to hear what God does with the money that uh, we gave you because we believe that we serve an awesome God. And we want to tell those stories, which we will in a couple weeks. So if you could respond to that in the next week, that would uh, help me. If you waited until the night before I had to preach, that will make it a little more difficult. Um, I'm comfortable winging it. I would prefer not to. So um, that's what happened this week. So this week, uh, I want to talk about seeing God work in my journey. Um, I don't know if you have any high school friends that when you're friends as an adult, there's still aspects of the fact that you were high schoolers when you met that uh, come out in your relationship that if an adult saw it, they'd be like, why are you acting like a high schooler? So I had a high school friend that I kept in touch with, and we were friends. And at the age of 29, this was 10 years ago, I went over to his house one night, and he said, hey, I got a new workout. It's a push-up workout. Um, and I said, well, buddy, that's not new. That's, I think push-ups have been around a long time. Um, that's like the oldest workout, actually. He's like, no, here's the workout. You have 10 sets that you get, and you do as many push-ups as you can each set. And you get 30 seconds break in between, and the goal is to get to 150 push-ups. 
So you can do as many as you want. You take a 30-second break. You go again, do as many more as you want. Take a break. And then at the end of 10, you try to get to 150. I said, that's, dude, that's super easy. That's my 29-year-old brain, or that's my 18-year-old brain talking about my 29-year-old body. And so, yeah, I can do that. And I'm not 29. I'm 39 now. There's no way I would fall for this now. But I, I was like, I got this. He's like, buddy, it's harder than you think. I don't think you're going to be able to do it. I'm like, Psh, get out of here. So I dropped down. And so I do my first set. I pump out like 45. And I'm feeling good. And I, and I felt like I could keep going, but I'll just stop. I'll rest right now. So I do my 45 push-ups, and then I rest my 30 seconds. And then I go again, it's a little harder. I get to like 18, I'm like, ah, oh, I should stop. And I like lay down, and in that 30 seconds, I'm like, I have eight more reps, or eight more sets to get to 87. I got to average 11 per set. Okay, so then the 30 seconds up, so I go to do the next set, and I do like five. And I'm like, oh gosh, what's happening to me? And I'm like, all right, man, we got to rebound. We're going to do better than that. I like I give myself self-talk. And after 30 seconds, all right, here we go. Boom. I did like seven. And I'm like, I don't think I'm going to make it. I got four more sets in, and it was like, like I had no arm strength whatsoever. My friend Don had a dog, a golden retriever that came up and just started licking my face. And I was, there's nothing I could do. No, stop, please don't. I was, I was uh, defenseless. I did not get the 150. And we went out that night. The next morning, I woke up, and I was so <laughs> sore. I couldn't. I could lift my elbows to about here, okay? So putting a shirt on, I had to, like, put this through the sleeve and then, like, pull it over to get it on. That next night, I went to an event uh, that was a fundraiser for another nonprofit, and the caterer, there was someone in the catering staff that had uh, the norovirus. Are you guys familiar with the norovirus? So uh, the food was contaminated, and I got, I got the norovirus. If you're not familiar, it's basically like, Something is squeezing your insides and everything else is coming out the ends, okay? And so I had that all night that Saturday night. Sunday night I woke up. I'm, I have no food in my stomach, and now I'm even sore. Like, oh, my arms hurt so much, and I can't keep anything down. I had to go to work. I went to work. Monday morning I woke up, and I, I was a single man living by myself in an apartment, uh, and I thought I was, I just I do not feel well. I had a headache. Obviously, I haven't kept anything down. You know, the norovirus is doing its thing, and I couldn't, and I'm like, man, I'm going to, someone's going to find me here in like three weeks. I need to go to work just so that someone finds me. So I get up, and I'm like, at this point, I can't lift my arms at all, but I need to shower, and I'm feeling very, and I'm in the shower, and I'm like, I wash from like here down because I can't lift my arms to wash anything else. Good enough. And then to put my pants on, I had to like, Step into the pants and then lean and then pin it and then lean again. And then the shirt was even tougher. I had like a t-shirt and I figured out that if I laid it on the ground, I could kind of like dive into it. And I was very sick. So keep that in mind when I tell you this next part, which is not church appropriate, I don't think. But I just, I was so in pain and I just felt gaseous and I'm like, I just need to let it go. And it wasn't gas. And I had to do the whole thing all over again. Come on, man. Hour and a half. I get in the car. At this point, I'm like a newborn. I can barely hold my head up. They tell you to drive 10 and 2. I'm driving like 6 and 6 because I can't lift my arms, so I'm just doing this. I go into my the, the guy I report to at the church at the time. I'm like, hey, man, I'm going to my office. If I'm still in this bad of shape, can someone make sure I'm not dead? He's like, yeah, we can do that. Sure. 
So I go in my office. I'm trying to type. And at that point, I put my head on the desk. And there was a volunteer that worked with the youth group. I call her, put her on speaker. And she sees, she's like, hey, are you looking for a lunch date? I'm like, no, I'm looking for a ride to the hospital. Are you free? And so she came and picked me up. Her daughter had had like uh, a near tragic accident. And so there had been uh, surgeries done in Beaumont and Royal Oak. I lived in Clarkson. She's like, I'm going to take you to the best hospital. I get in the, I'm like, whatever. I get in the car. I lean back. And we're driving for a long time. I'm like, are we passing hospitals? I'm like, we, we taking laps? What are we doing here? We get to the emergency room, emergency room at Beaumont. I walk in, and I check in. And uh, within a couple hours, they've hooked me up to a saline solution. And I've developed what's called rhabdomyolysis. You guys know what rhabdomyolysis is? I'll explain it to you in uh, the way that it was explained to me. When you work out, your muscles break down, and then they build back up. That's how you get giant guns, right? And so you work out, it builds out, builds back up. Uh, rhabdomyolysis, when your muscles break down, they put proteins into your bloodstream that your kidneys have to process. And that's called your CPK level. When, I, when you work out and you break down, like that, most people's CPK level is around 200. Well, my muscles just kept breaking down. That's why I got weaker and weaker. I couldn't lift my arms at all because my muscles were just breaking down. And so by the time I got to the emergency room, they said that my CPK level was 37,000. And they said that if I had gotten there three hours later, my kidneys would have shut down and I probably would have died. And so they put saline solution in me and they were putting like a bag per half hour through me. And I was peeing like I assume I'm going to be peeing when I'm 79, just like Four times, I mean, just a lot, okay? And uh, they, they flushed my system out. And I was in the hospital for five days. And in the moment, it just seemed like kind of crazy. But in retrospect, it's like, I almost died. Like, I was this close. Like, if I had, if my muscles would have been a little bit worse, or if Ann had taken me to Beaumont in Columbus, Ohio, I don't, you know, like, something, a little bit more, and it would have been over. And like, then I started to think, like, if that would have happened, what would have been the ripple effects? Do you ever think back on your life and your journey, and you're like, man, if this thing had happened, like, one second earlier or one second later, things would have been totally different. If I'd have met this person three days after I met them, things, would have, things could have totally changed. You have those moments, right, where, like, your life could have gone in a drastically different direction. And you look at your journey, journey and you go, man, there are like uh, posts, like flag, you know, flag planted in the ground posts. They like, I remember that moment. And that moment changed everything else. And if that would have been a little bit different, everything else, my journey, my life, my who I'm defined as would have been different. We all have those, yes? And so today, I want to look at that because sometimes when we're in the circumstance, we don't see God working. We just don't see it. But if we look in our rearview mirror and we look at our life as a journey, there's a chance that we could see God, the fact that he's been there the entire time. I want to tell you a story that comes out of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah is one of my favorite books because uh, this is nerdy stuff and it has nothing to do with the sermon. It's just free extra stuff, no charge. So the Bible is uh, the, broken down the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is 39 books and is primarily about judgment. The uh, second half is the New Testament. That's 27 books, and it's primarily about redemption. Well, the book of Isaiah is 66 chapters, 
in that 66 chapters, the first 39 chapters, I primar primarily about judgment. The last 27, I primarily about redemption. The book of Isaiah mirrors the Bible in a lot of different ways. And we catch this story of King Hezekiah at the end of that first half. Okay, and what, hap what has happened is, and I'll give you context, King Hezekiah has been the king of Israel for 14 years. And the biggest protagonist in the Old Testament leading up to King Hezekiah was the nation of Assyria. They just were a regular protagonist, thorn in the nation of Israel's side for a long time. And their king at this time was a king named Sennacherib. And leading up to the story that we're about to read, uh, Sennacherib had sent his generals to meet the generals of the nation of Israel. They, so like the understudies come together. And he says, I have a message that I want you to give Israel's generals. And so Sennacherib from Assyria, his generals tell Israel, look, here's the deal. I know that you guys pride yourself on the fact that God uh, saved you from Egypt. And we know that you have faith that God will protect you. But let's be honest. Let's be, this is the real world. Our army is bigger. We're better outfitted. We're smarter. We're better than this. And we will just take you over. If you don't give up, this is going to be very bad for you. Assyrians, this nation of Assyria was known for intimidating and cajoling the nation of Israel over the history of the Old Testament. And so they came and they said, if you don't want a bloody war, just give in, just give up. This God that you've been relying on up to this point, it's cute, but he's not going to save you. And so uh, King Hezekiah's generals didn't say a thing, and they came back to Hezekiah. And in chapter 37, King Hezekiah fasts and he prays to God. And he says, remember us, we've been faithful. We, we believe that you will protect us. We will not give up. We are relying on you. And without getting into the gory details, God protects the nation of Israel and wipes out the ent entire Assyrian army until the king, Sacharab, finally takes his people back to their nation. And once again, God has provided and sheltered and taken care of uh, the nation of Israel because King Hezekiah was faithful to what he was supposed to be. He relied on God and not on himself, on his own intellect, but on God. That's the backstory of Hezekiah. We're tracking, right? So here's what happens in chapter 38. This won't be up on the screen yet, but I want to read this story to you. Verse 1 of chapter 38 of Isaiah. It says, In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you are going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. He did not take this well. And he, he went to God and he, he, I mean, he put it all out there emotionally, spiritually. I've been faithful, man. Like this is how it's going to end. Verse four, then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and tell Hezekiah, this is what the Lord, the God of your father, David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city. It's one of my favorite things that happens in the Old Testament is 
we always think of God as this uh, all-knowing, all-powerful, and we just march in line with him. And it's, it's almost like we don't have much of a choice. But if you read the Old Testament time after time after time, there are people where God has made a decision and they go to God in prayer and they pour themselves out. God, please listen. Hear my prayers. I've been faithful. And God changes his mind. And maybe that has nothing to do with this sermon or only a little bit about to do with this sermon. But maybe that's the message you need to hear today. That your prayer matters. That God hears it. And sometimes God will adhere, will go, okay, well, let's do that. So we have a say. We have a voice in our story when we pray to God. That's what happened to Hezekiah. And so uh, God gives a sign. And then what's going to be up on the screen is what... Uh, Hezekiah writes immediately after. It starts in verse 10. He said, I said, in the prime of my life must I go through the gates of death and be robbed of the rest of my years. I said, I will not again see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. No longer will I look on my fellow mortals or be with those who now dwell in this world. Like a shepherd's tent, my house has been pulled down and taken from me. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life and he has cut me off from the loom. Day and night, you made an end of me. I waited patiently till dawn, but like a lion, he broke all my bones. Day and night, you made an end of me. I cried like a swift or thrush. I moaned like a morning dove. My eyes grew weak as I looked to the heavens. I am being threatened, Lord. Come to my aid. And then here's the turn, verse 15. But what can I say? He has spoken to me, and he himself has done this. I will walk humbly all my years because of this anguish of my soul. Lord, by such things people live, and my spirit finds life in them too. You restored me to health and let me live. Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. In your love, you kept me from the pit of destruction. You have put all my sins behind your back. For the grave cannot praise you. Death cannot sing your praise. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, they praise you, as I am doing today. Parents, tell their children about your faithfulness. We all have something that has led us to this point, and it's hard to see God in this. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to give you homework. Most of you got a, uh, a bulletin when you came in. Did most people get that? Most people have that? There are pins, pens in the pews, and this is what I want you to do. I'm going to give you a minute to do it. I want you in your mind to identify what are the three most influential flagpost moments in your life so far. What are the three things that, and when you identify them, and you may say, I've got 10, there's 15, there's 20. Just take the top three, the three most influential flagpost moments in your life. Maybe it was a, a job you took. Maybe it was uh, getting married. Maybe it was a divorce. Maybe it was a death of a family member. Maybe it was a birth of a family member. Maybe it was an awakening to something. Maybe it was a conquering of something. It could be job-related, family-related, self-related, whatever it is. I want you to identify three flagpost moments in your life. And then what I want you to do, instead of writing them all down, because you don't want other people seeing this, what I want you to do is take those three things and assign them a word that represents those flagposts. Okay? And it could be any word just a word, and it could be stealth, you know, so that someone doesn't look at it and go, oh, I know what they're talking about. But just a word that rep represents that flagpost. I want you to write those three words 
down on your bulletin. Does it make sense? Are you guys following me? So identify the three fag post moments, find three words that represent them, and write them on your bulletin. You got it? I'll give you a few seconds to go. I mean, it takes a second. You want it to be legible so you can read it later. What's fun about this is sometimes people listen to these podcasts or listen to these sermons online. I like to imagine someone's listening to this right now while they're driving. If you do that, pull over and do this, please. Give you a few more seconds. Write down the three flag post moments of your life. We got them. So Hezekiah has been a faithful steward for a long time. And God comes to him and says, hey, prepare yourself. This is going to be, you're not going to make it through this illness. And one of the flagpost moments of Hezekiah's life that we can see is this prayer. But if he had not been faithful over time, he would not have been ready to pray the prayer that he did. He was a faithful king of Israel for a long time. It says then, verse 36, he had already been the king of Israel for 14 years. So when this happens, it's probably years even after that. So for up to 20 years, he's been the faithful king of Israel. He's on the verge of losing his life. And everything that he'd gone through had prepared him to the moment where he would pray and pour himself out and change God's mind. And what happened because of that? He was given 15 more years, and he was faithful in those 15 more years. Who, who did he have an impact on in those 15 years? Who learned from his story in those 15 years? But that flagpost moment was, I was ready to pray the prayer I needed to pray when this moment came up. Your past prepares you, right? You get ready for it. And I'll, I'll put it this way because it, it's hard to see your life as one big thing. It's sometimes you're just taking it one step at a time, and it's hard to see the beauty or the art or the wonder in just your journey. Like, it's just my life. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, some of you probably know that I lived downtown Clarkston for about eight, nine years. I actually lived in one of the apartments that was above, um, like, the bakery and essence, and you guys know what I'm talking about, right in downtown, right in that stretch. I was like, my I was on the second floor. I was across from Rudy's, um, and it was a cool place to live because when I moved in, there wasn't that many restaurants. And by the time I left, there was a lot of I had a lot of eating opportunities, uh, which may uh, explain the stomach. Anyway, so um, when I lived there, there also was a lot of parades. You know, Clarkson has probably three parades that go right through downtown every year. They shut down the street, and you know they, everybody goes. It, it, July Fourth is one. I think there's a Labor Day one. There was one Labor Day a few years ago where I think I was training for a race, and so that morning I got up early and I went for a run, and so I ran a couple miles. And when I came back, the roads were all shut down, and people were starting to set up for the parade, like they were along the sides of the road. And I, there I am running by myself through the center. It felt pretty cool, right? I, I definitely couldn't run slow. I definitely had to end fast because everybody was watching, because you know ego. And uh, I get back to my apartment, I go up and I shower, and it was the most Chevy Chase moment of my life, I think, the very fletch. I get, I get out of the shower, I dry off, I put my 
shorts on. I walk out to the window, open the window, and right then the Star Spangled Banner started. And there's hundreds of people on the. I'm like, I, I was looking out over the whole thing, and and then the parade starts. And I'm from a second floor window, and not many people's eye levels look that high, but every once in a while people would be like, hey, it's Greg. And I felt it was like, I felt like the Pope, man. I was like, about the, yes, my people, yeah, bless you, right? I'm I'm watching the parade go by. But I realized something that I never caught before. It was a different perspective because when you're on the side of the road at any parade, you see the float that's in front of you and maybe the one that just went by and maybe the one that's just behind it. That's about what you see. And then you're eager to see what what candy's getting thrown out or, uh, you know, what what the dance troupe's going to do or what what politician's coming by next, right? Uh, That's what you see when you're down there. When I was on the second floor looking out the window – what I saw was almost half the parade because there's somebody who organized that parade and they put everybody in order. And there's some thought put into how you put a parade together. If there's a bunch of floats that do music or make noise, you don't want them next to each other because they're going to drown each other out. Uh, If there's a parade that has a bunch of politicians, you don't want them next to each other because maybe they fight. Who knows, right? Um, If there's people... uh, giving away candy, you want to spread that out. If there's artistic ones, you don't want them all by each other. The classic cars are spread out. Basically, the parade is organized in such a way that like, it's meant to be seen as like one big thing. But when you're on the side of the road, you don't see that. But when I was on my second floor, I'm looking out, and I can look out, and down here I can see where they're turning just past where Morgan's used to be, what Honcho is now. And I can look this way, and I can see almost the Clarkston Road, the light, I mean, through the branches of the trees. And I can see... 30, 30 floats at one time. It was beautiful. I could see the float that was coming where they had super soakers they were going to shoot at the kids. I'm like, oh, those kids don't even know what's coming. Right? I could see the float that had the good candy, and I ran downstairs for them. I could see the whole thing, and I'm like, this is pretty beautiful. This is gorgeous. To be able to see the order and how it's all laid out and how it's meant to be. But when I'm on the side of the road, I only see one float. Maybe I see two floats. And I think that's kind of how God sees our lives. God sees the whole field. He sees what's coming. He sees what you've been through. And he may have had you go through something or been uh, maybe quiet or tried to teach you things because he knows the float that's coming four floats down the way. He knows what's coming. And so for Hezekiah, he knew that Hezekiah was nearing death. He knew there was an opportunity for Hezekiah to plead on behalf of himself and his his nation. He could see everything that was coming, and he prepared for it. And for us, whatever your uh, flagpost moments were that you wrote down, those are part of a bigger story. I'm um, going to pick on some people. Did either of you follow? Can you give me one one of the words? Just tell me one of the words. Grace. Does anyone in here have a story, a flagpole story, that maybe involves, it could have been called grace. You could have called it grace if you gave it a word. Anybody? Anybody have a grace? Okay. Let's go to somebody else. I'll, I'll pick on Pastor Dan. Pastor Dan, did you write a word? Oh, he's got to pull it out of his pocket. We'll give him a second. Marriage. Does anybody's flagpost, could you have called it marriage? Could you have called it marriage? Did you write that because your wife's by you? Yeah, Okay. Yeah, right on, right on. Uh, Fernanda, I'll pick on you. Did you write one down? Moving. Does anybody's story 
could it have been called moving? Did you have a flag post that could have been called moving? The thing about your story that I want to point out is that your story isn't just your story. It's our story. Hezekiah's story isn't just about Hezekiah. It's about us. It's about his country. It's about the people that he was leading. When God has you go through something, when you're in it, it's hard to see him. But if you can look back at your journey and see, you know, what he's doing, then maybe there's someone else who has a similar story that you could come alongside. Maybe somebody else has a moving story or a grace story or a marriage story, and you can go, yeah, I got a similar thing. And some of the most anguish, and the anguish that uh, Hezekiah talks about, some of the most anguish that we go through now is that we go through these excruciating situations and we feel like nobody else gets it. Like nobody else could understand what I'm going Nobody. I mean, like, I could tell you, but you don't get I mean, it is. Like, I just feel like I'm drowning in depression, and I just, it's, I'm the only one that can know this. And sometimes two of the most powerful words in the English language are me too. And you can say, I, I had the same thing. I had a similar, this story is similar to yours, and you can start to be a comfort to someone. And maybe when you were going through yours, Someone was a comfort to you, and God had prepared them. And you start to put those dots together, and a picture starts to form. You start to put those floats together, and a parade starts to form. And if you can see the parade rather than the floats, you're like, whoa, God was there the entire time. He's been there the whole time. And so there's three questions that you need to ask yourself when you look back at your flag post or any part of your story We'll put them up on the screen. Three questions. The first is, what is God bringing me out of? What is God bringing me out of? Because sometimes it doesn't feel like you're coming out of it. But if you say, hey, what is, God, what are you bringing me out of? What is this? You identify that thing, and it becomes separate from you. If you're in it, it's just you. But like, God, what are you, what are you pulling me out of? The second question you ask is, God, what are you teaching me through this? What are you teaching me through this? Hezekiah went through story after story. God, what are you teaching me in this? Are you teaching me about prayer? Are you teaching me about faithfulness? Are you teaching me about how to be a leader? How to be, uh, what, what are you teaching me? And the third thing that you need to ask is, God, what are you preparing me for? What are you preparing me for? This flagpost moment, this moving moment, this grace moment, this marriage moment, this divorce moment, this addiction moment. I'm an addict. And I carry that. But I know that other people are too. And so I can't fix them, but I can go, well, I've been there. And maybe through my care and love, they feel the presence of God. And when I can start to piece those floats together, those pieces together, I can look at, I can look at a time where I did too many push-ups. I can look at a time where I went through excruciating, almost life-ending situations. I can look at the good and the bad. And in totality, I can go, God has been doing stuff the entire time. And if I piece that together and I see the whole parade, I say, God, that is 
beautiful. I am in awe. I am in a, I have a sense of wonder about what you are doing. And when we live with that sense of wonder, we can be like Hezekiah and be ready for the next thing. We can live in awe of God by cleaning our lenses and looking back and going, God's been doing stuff the entire time. I get to be a part of this. However it is that he's calling me, I get to be a part of this because I've seen all the ways that he's worked up to this point. I wasn't gonna, this wasn't going to be part of the sermon, but someone came up to me afterward, and I'm like, oh, that's a God thing. The little three, the three words you put down, maybe carry them around. Maybe carry them around. Stick them in your pocket. Stick them in your purse. Stick them in your wallet. That's your story. And God's given that to you. And some of it may have been incredibly painful. Some of it may have been incredibly joyous. But through it, if you ask, what have you brought me out of? What are you teaching me? What are you preparing me for? The next thing that comes up, you're going to be like, God, you're, you're incredible. You did it again because here we go. I'm in awe of what you're doing. Can you see God working in your story? Because your story is our story. And that parade is something to behold. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our path. Thank you that however low or high we've been on it, you've been there. Help us to pull back and see all the times that you've been there to ask the right questions and to go forward living with a sense of wonder because you are a wonderful God. Live with a sense of awe because you are an awesome God. We want to be who you called us to be, so help us to identify what you're doing amongst us. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Next week, Josh Thayer will be talking a little bit about uh, how we can be in awe of God. I'll be back the week after that, Pastor Tony the week after that, and then the beloved senior pastor will return, which we will bring the finest meats and cheeses in all the land. Until then... Look at your story, see where God is, and live with a sense of wonder. Amen?